Hello and welcome. You are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on our magical journey through a wonderland of burning money. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. All right. We've got a good one for you this week. They're all good ones. Promise us. (laughs) Except that one that everyone agrees sucked. (laughs) Episode 17, whichever one that was. The Collapse of Sears was a great sinking ship, a titan, nay a colossus of industry, bleeding itself slowly as it ground against the reef of modernity, only drawing out the inevitable. The collapse of Radio Shack was a Hindenburg, a train wreck meets Shakespearean farce, an explosive comedy of errors where a company in the right position simply chooses to choose wrong. Whole Foods Market (laughs) was born dead. A contradiction, an attempt to reconcile the dirty sincerity of a homegrown farmer's market with the mannequin impersonality of corporate profit. Because no matter how beautiful the shell, no matter how shiny the fixtures, or natural the products, Whole Foods Market is the state of Denmark. There is something rotten inside of it. Asparagus water. (laughs) There's this one... There's this one fucking tweet that summarizes Whole Foods perfectly, and it was just, Atmosphere is hypnotically Caucasian, and chocolate milk is startlingly overpriced, yet tantalizingly easy to steal. (laughs) Another one of God's little tests. (laughs) Wow. It's poetic. Let's get into it. In 1978, 25-year-old college dropout John Mackey and 21-year-old Renee Hardy Lawson borrowed a small loan of $45,000 the equivalent today of $178,000, from family and friends to open the doors of a small natural food store called Saferway in Austin, Texas. The store would eventually be renamed to Whole Foods Market. Okay. That is, like, getting a small loan of $178,000 from your friends and family, that's just shit that rich people do when they're bored. Yeah. (laughs) Right. From its inception, if you have the resources to do shit like that, to Mm -hmm. borrow that much money from your close friends and family, you never have to worry about anything. Your store can run into deficit forever. You can always be bailed out. Your store will continue to sell its whatever weird bullshit. When the couple got booted out of their apartment for storing food products there, they simply decided to live at the store. Not allowed. Illegal. We don't have food at our apartments. (laughs) It's just like organic lobsters just like running around on the floor and shitting everywhere. Damn lobsters. Okay. Since it was zoned commercial, there was no shower stall. Instead, they bathed in the Hobart dishwasher, which had an attached water hose. Feels like the the premise to a wacky sitcom from the 80s. (laughs) It's like this is a spin-off show for Shit's Creek. Yeah, exactly. Like, very surreal, like, ridiculous humor. Well, I like how they said bathed in the washing machine. <laughs> it's a washing machine. You can't bathe inside of it. It just has a hose, right. like, attached to it. And so they would just stand in the middle of the kitchen floor where there's just, like, a grate. And they would get naked and then spray each other with this industrial hose. But did they use that washing machine to wash other things? Yeah. Oh. Like, dishes. <laughs> okay. Which, like... None of this is direct. All of this is directly from the Whole Foods website. Like this is from their like mission statement shit, and this violates so many FDA regulations. Yeah, I was gonna say like you can't wash your naked bodies in the same mechanism you used to wash the dishes. You can't do Guys. that. Sorry, 
That's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, we the place that we store the meat is literally right next to the place where I wash my bare ass. <laughs> yeah. Get all the grime and sweat off my body. And into the meat. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Two years later, John and Renee partnered with Craig Weller and Mark Stiles to merge Saferway with their Clarksville Natural Grocery, resulting in the opening of the original Whole Foods Market on September 20th, 1980. Mm. At 10,500 square feet and a staff of 19, this store was quite large in comparison to the standard health food store at the time, mm. and even compared to most grocery stores. Mm. Less than a year later, on Memorial Day of 1981, one of the worst floods in seven years devastated the city of Austin. Caught in the floodwaters, the store's inventory was wiped out, mm. and most of the equipment was damaged. The losses were approximately $400,000, almost double their startup capital, and Whole Foods Market had no insurance. Customers and neighbors voluntarily joined the staff to repair and clean up the damage. Creditors, vendors, and investors all provided breathing room for the store to get back on its feet, and it reopened only 28 days after the flood. Wow, that was nice of everybody. Yeah. Community, it shows that the, it had, you know, an impact in the community. Or that the people working there were afraid to lose their jobs. Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> well, look, call me. Beginning in 1984, Whole Foods Market began its expansion out of Austin, first to Houston and Dallas then to New Orleans with the purchase of Whole Foods Company in 1988. In 1989, the company expanded to the West Coast with a store in Palo Alto, California. While continuing to open new stores from the ground up, the company fueled rapid growth by acquiring other natural food chains throughout the 90s, namely Wellspring Grocery of Northern Carolina, Bread and Circus of Massachusetts and Rhode Island, Mrs. Gooch's Natural Food Markets of Los Angeles, Bread of Life, Northern California, Fresh Fields Market on the East Coast and the Midwest, Florida Bread of Life stores, Detroit Area Merchant of Vino stores, and Nature's Heartland of Boston. So they were just buying up all competition. Yeah, they were, they were snapping up the competition. Mm. Wellspring Grocery opened its doors in 1981. After three years of planning and preparation, owners Lex and Ann Alexander led a team of homegrown, energetic workers who set out to change the way uh, the Triangle community of Northern Carolina shopped for food. The idea was to offer high quality and great nutrition, and to encourage customers to be more connected to the food they ate. Okay. We're like brothers, only closer. I love you, corn. <laughs> I love you so much. Be inside my body! The first store located in Durham, was completely, and then for some reason it's in quotes here, vegetarian. We sold meat. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> That's why we put it in quotes. Because <laughs> it wasn't true. <laughs> we, we pride our honesty at this company. <laughs> we will lie to you all the time. Maybe I'm doing it now. <laughs> we will lie to you, but we will put helpful quotes around the lies so you'll know how to spot them easily. The first store, located in Durham, was completely, quote, vegetarian. In 1986, it moved to a larger space two blocks up the street, and in response to consumer demand, added fish, poultry, and meat. We want poultry! We, we want, want poultry! In 1990, a second store opened in Chapel Hill, approximately 10 miles away. Wellspring Grocery was joined, also in quotes... <laughs> What are they hiding? Probably, it really means, uh, was acquired by mm. Whole Foods Market in 1991. Appreciate those helpful lying quotes. Yeah. Oh yeah, we, we joined up voluntarily. In no way was this a hostile takeover. We were happy about it. <laughs> we don't flagellate ourselves every <laughs> night 
at the loss of the only thing that we held dear to us, which was our homegrown organic grocery chain. <laughs> Whole Foods Market went public on January 23rd, 1993, at split-adjusted IPO price of $1.06 per share, which isn't bad. Hmm. Yeah, I guess for the time, you know, it's stable. That is a solid opening price for a grocery store. Yeah. It's not one of these high-growth tech companies where... The opening share price is like $800 or yeah, some shit. exactly. Bread and Circuses, 1992. Anthony and Susan Harnett purchased the first bread and circus store in Brookline, Massachusetts in 1975, which I have some issues here. It says Anthony and Susan, Har- Susan Harnett purchased the first bread and circus store. Who made the first bread and circus store? Why aren't we talking about them? <laughs> I don't know. The first bread and circus sold natural foods and wooden toys, hence the unusual name. We've got quinoa and we've got bricks made of wood. They have letters on them sometimes. The two things any child would, would want. The only two things on Santa's big old list. <laughs> New stores opened in Cambridge in 1979 and Wellesley in 1980. In 1983, Bread and Circus challenged itself by expanding into Hadley, Massachusetts. Ooh, no. Big territory. Challenging. (laughs) If we can make it in Hadley, Massachusetts, we can make it anywhere. This is the American dream. Hadley. (laughs) Here we are. And it's just like one skyscraper. Right. It's it's just a regular suburban American town. Right. Like a little bit bigger than the other town. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We're we're moving from we're moving from the boondocks of Brookline, Massachusetts. To Hadley. To Hadley, Massachusetts. <laughs> Moving from the 8th the to the 7th most populous <laughs> metropolitan area in Massachusetts. I don't know why we're dunking so hard on Hadley, Massachusetts. It's just, I have, we've never heard of it, so it's, it, I think the way it was phrased is like it was this big expansion, like Hadley. I thought you were going to say like, we haven't heard of it before and anything new is inherently bad. Well, you know my thoughts about that. <laughs> Ah, new information! <laughs> Cower! <laughs> Every time I tell Evan a cool animal fact, he screams and pees himself. No, it's not true! <laughs> Arm- it's not true! <laughs> Armadillos don't walk on two legs. You're lying! <laughs> Pretend you didn't say that! I need new pants! <laughs> in 1988, the company opened a store in Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> Moving on up. <laughs> I just like to add, fuck Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> we actually hate this the one shit down. Fuck you, Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> the mayor is an asshole. If we ever tour, we're never coming to Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> Give that city a wide berth. Yeah, he'll have to drive out to Hadley yeah. if you want some of this. <laughs> Jokers, you clowns. Fuck you. <laughs> we hate our audience. <laughs> Only if they're from specific towns. Yeah, we got a list of 50 towns. One for each state that we yeah. really hate. <laughs> It's like two sentences have taken us like two minutes. Yeah, okay, we got it back on track. All right, all right, all right, all right. Later that year, it moved to its central office in Newton and established a central commissary there, like military bases have. Mm. The Province, Rhode Island store opened in 1990, and the original Brookline store moved to Brighton, Massachusetts in 1991. Mm. At the time of its acquisition by Whole Foods, Bread and Circuses was the largest natural food retailer in the Northeast. Mm. So... Whole Foods is really buying shit up. Like they're yeah, they're they're coming into town and snapping everything up. Yeah, they're gaining a lot of power. Sandy Gooch. <laughs> <laughs> trying to picture what Sandy Gooch would look like. All right, let's here. Let me describe her for you. Okay, Sandy Gooch. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Sandy Gooch, a homemaker and former grade school teacher, became interested in natural foods after suffering severe allergic reactions to antibiotics and chemical additives in food. Mm. She joined forces with Dan Vollard, who operated three health food stores to open the first Mrs. Gooch's Natural Foods Markets Natural Foods Market in West Los Angeles in January of 1977. Mm. So based on that, what do you think Mrs. Gooch looks like? Miss Sandy Gooch. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I picture like an outline of her, what her outline would be. It's hard to describe. It's just kind of like, I don't know. It's just like it, some kind of larger than life kind of mascot type of person. Yeah, yeah. Like almost like a cartoon of a homely fat woman. Yeah, exactly. I'm Mrs. Gooch. Why, hello. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Echoing the bass note. <laughs> Within a year, the second market opened in Hermosa Beach. Over the next decade, new markets were launched in Northridge, Sherman Oaks, Glendale, Beverly Hills, and Thousand Oaks. Mrs. Gooch held its suppliers to rigorous standards. No harmful chemicals or preservatives, no artificial colors or flavorings, and no white flour, refined sugar, alcohol, caffeine, or chocolate. With its consumer education programs, the company helped fuel a growing demand for natural foods in Southern California. Hmm. Yeah, I still see remnants of that to this day. Oh yeah, no, the the whole no natural colors thing, Yeah, like that's a lot. Definitely. Whole Foods Market acquired Mrs. Gooch's in 1993. Oh, man. And they had to kill Mrs. Gooch to take her out back. <laughs> her, her head is still mounted on yeah. Jeff Bezos' wall now. Yeah. Conquests. <laughs> R.I.P. in peace, Miss Sandy Gooch. Actually, she might still be alive. I hope so. The legend lives on. Also in 1993, Whole Foods went through a two-to-one stock split. This shows that the company was confident that their shares were selling and decided to make them more liquid and more affordable to small brokers. So the reverse of what the MoviePass company did, a reverse stock split. Yes. <laughs> so here, when a stock splits, it can also result in a share price increase following a decrease immediately after the split, since many small investors think the stock is now more affordable and buy up the stock. They end up boosting demand and drive up the price. Another reason for the price increase is that a stock split provides a signal to the market that the company's share price has been increasing, and people assume that this growth will continue in the future. And again, uh, lift demand and thus price. Yeah. Makes sense. A stock split is like, if your shares are selling for 20 bucks, you can split your stocks and sell... Like, let's say you've divided it up into a million shares that are at 20 bucks each. Yeah. You can now have 2 million shares at 10 bucks each to yeah. make them easier to buy. Yeah. And contrawise, you can do a reverse stock split where you can go from 2 million $10 stocks down to just 1 million $20 stocks. Right. And the reason that that fucked over MoviePass was when they tried to do a reverse stock split to, like, add their... Uh, like, add their stock together in a desperate attempt to stay on the listing. Yeah. It still wasn't enough. Right. They still dropped to one cent. Yes. So they, they had less stock, but still at a, you know, insanely low price. At, at a price that is so low that they can't be on the NYT anymore. Yeah. So this is just a two-to-one stock split. Yeah. I believe the movie pass one was like a 16-to-one stock split. No, it was like 250-to-one. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in in the, the short article I read about this... All they said was like, like what they said was that most big companies, you only really see like, like four to one. That's like the maximum. You, right. you like never see four to one. It's like, if you see four to one, some, either something is going really right or really wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 250 to one. 250 to one and they still couldn't make one cent. Yeah. I mean, cause they were literally scamming people. So. <laughs> oh dear. 
1996, Whole Foods acquired Fresh Fields. Fresh Fields can be considered a part of the, quote, second generation of natural food supermarket companies, mm. whereas all of the other companies that have become a part of the Whole Foods market family, ugh, <laughs> I hate it when companies call their subordinates part of their family. <laughs> it's like, I have a family, you know, like, don't pretend this is a family. It, it would be like the U.S. calling uh, calling Puerto Rico part of the United States extended <laughs> family. Right, that's one word for it. Whereas all of the other companies that have become part of the Whole Foods market family were started in the 1970s and early 80s, Fresh Fields opened its first store in May of 1991 in Rockville, Maryland. The first store was very successful, which led to the opening of four more in 1992. Eight additional stores were opened in 1993, including expansion into the Philadelphia and Chicago markets. By 1993, annual sales had reached $10 million and were over $20 million by 1995. At the time of the merger with Whole Foods in 1996, Fresh Fields had 22 stores open in four different markets in Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Chicago. Mm. With the addition of Fresh Fields, Mr. Mackey's natural food empire now consisted of 70 stores in 16 states. Wow. While still small compared to, Nash to traditional supermarket chains, we are going to get deep into that later, Yeah, the natural and organic foods company grew at more than 20% a year. Mm. The next year, revenue surpassed a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. Well, and notice that Fresh Fields is the first one that they say they didn't join or was acquired by. It was a merger. Right. It's like this was this was two partners coming together. Right. Instead of Whole Foods just swallowing up a smaller company. Yeah. This is the they they finally hit an equal and they're joining forces. Mm. In nineteen eighty, Julie and Richie Gerber, organic farmers from Maine, moved to Florida and purchased a natural food store in Fort Lauderdale called Bread of Life. At 1,300 square feet, the store housed natural food products as well as a small juice bar. In 1985, they expanded to a 3,000 square foot building with a full-service restaurant and kitchen. Wow. In 1989, the Gerbers partnered with Jim Oppenheimer to relocate to a 6,800 square foot store two miles away. The new store became popular for its organic foods and live entertainment. Wow. Quote, Jazz Goes Natural, featuring Richie Gerber and the Free Radicals. Okay. In 1995, The Bread of Life opened a 30,000 square foot store in Plantation, Florida. Wow. The, the merger with Whole Foods Market in 1997 prompted the creation of the Florida region. Wow. Yeah. I love that they partnered with a guy named Jim Oppenheimer, like the guy on the Manhattan Project. Yeah. I am become bread destroyer of worlds. Merchant of Vino was founded by Ed and Juliette Joanna in 1974. Located in the Detroit area, they established an excellent reputation in wine retailing. Over the years, they began to pick up more and more gourmet and natural food items uh, to complement their strong wine business. Hmm. Produce, meat, and seafood, and prepared foods were added as well as nutrition and body care. At the time of the merger in December of 1997, Merchant of Vino operated six stores in the greater Detroit area. Allegro Coffee Company was founded by brothers Jeff and Roger Crone, or Cone, sorry. Mm. Coming from a family coffee tradition, they realized the growing consumer demand for fresh roasted, high-quality coffee, 
1997, opened the Brewing Market a Specialty Coffee Business in Boulder, Colorado. In just a few years, Brewing Market grew to include two retail stores and a wholesale division. As the wholesale side of the business continued to grow, Jeff and Roger directed the sale of the retail division in 1985 and renamed the wholesale division to the Allegro Coffee Company. After supplying our stores, or after supplying Whole Foods with specialty and organic coffees, teas, and brewing equipment for many years, Allegro joined the Whole Foods Market family (laughs) in December of 1997. Today, Allegro coffees are widely recognized as the pinnacle of quality in the specialty coffee industry, Hmm. which, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know. I have no clue. Whatever. I'll I'll give it to them. Sure, whatever. I mean, I don't want to give it to them just because they were mentioned in a blurb by Whole Foods. (laughs) Yeah. But honestly, like, the guy that knows the best specialty coffee retailer in America is not somebody I want to hang out with. Like, that's (laughs) not knowledge that I want in my brain. Yeah, there's better things to know. There is nothing that... There are very few things that annoy me more than somebody who, like, hands me a shot of coffee and is like, drink this, and then they talk about, like, its body or whatever. I I literally, like, both coffee and wine, I can't tell a difference between anything I drink. I can at least tell the difference between, like, good and bad coffee. Like, I know when... Yeah, I mean, if it's a very stark difference, but, like, I think most of the, like, the copy they write about coffee or wine is just bullshit. I, I think there is actually some, like craft to it but i just don't give a shit it's like there are two kinds of coffee there's wow that's good and there's uh yeah (laughs) that's it those are the only two kinds of coffee just put them on two different shelves one's half the price (laughs) (laughs) i would love that fucking do that (laughs) just a bag that says coffee yeah structure it like a fucking cuban supermarket just whatever man exactly save us all some fucking time Uh, yeah all right so now we've just gone over all of the different ingredients in this whole food soup, right? Okay. These are all of the different influences, the different uh, abilities and tools that they have at their disposal. Yeah. So now, Whole Foods is really done expanding, at mm-hmm. least for now. Okay. So they've got to hit their stride. Yeah. So now, Whole Foods is trying to step into the, the limelight. Now they're a full brand. They're ready right. to take on the circuit. Yeah. So let's see how that went for them. Okay. Whole Foods started its store brand, 365 Everyday Value. The private label was later used to combat the perception that Whole Foods, sometimes known as, quote, whole paycheck for its notoriously high prices, was too expensive for everyday people. Yeah. I definitely, like, heard people say that about Whole Foods a lot. Like, that's just, that's where rich people are. Like, that's where, you know, like, we can't afford that. Right. Like, that's where yuppies go to shop. Yeah, exactly. And it still is. Like, yeah. That hasn't changed. Right. It's like yes, they have this they have this store brand now, but it's it's still easily like forty percent more expensive than the store brand at any other restaurant or yeah. or you know, supermarket. Exactly. In 1996, Nature's Heartland opened its first store in Bedford, Massachusetts, with the goal of providing a cost-effective way to get natural products to consumers. Three more stores soon followed, all in the greater Boston area. Nature's Heartland, like Fresh Fields, was a, quote, second-generation natural food supermarket company. In fact, both companies share a founder, Leo Kahn, who also had a hand in Purity Supreme grocery stores and the Staples office supply chain. Okay. I don't like the name Purity Supreme. Grocery yeah, stores. That sounds like a white supremacist Eugenics-y. grocery store. Yeah. Nature's Heartland quality standards were quite similar to those in the whole food market slash bread and circus stores in the same area, requiring unbleached flour, naturally raised meat and poultry, and featuring as much organically grown produce as possible. Yet, 
with their conventional grocery store background, these products shared the shelves with such goods as film and batteries, school supplies, disposable razors, and stuffed animals. In 1999, they joined the Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market began seriously discussing the online sale of products in 1997, when e-commerce was viewed as an intriguing yet risky venture, while our corporate website continued to evolve into an information-rich site. (laughs) Okay. Mm. Thick and soupy with information. Was information in quotes? <laughs> no, unfortunately. There is, there, are, there is some good quotes coming up here. Okay, good. Research on the viability of opening our new, quote, store on the <laughs> Why? site. Why? What is it if it's not a store? Just say, I mean, it's not a store. It's a storefront, but you can just say that. Like, yeah. you don't have to put, you, you don't need to lie about this. It was more of a cantaloupe on a stick, but we'll call it a store. <laughs> Research on the viability of opening a new, quote, store on the site proceeded behind the scenes. Ooh. Got our boys in the back room working on something special for your butts. The Imagineers. <laughs> the, the Whole Foods Imagineers. Those are the people who put the melon on the stick. Yeah. <laughs> boys, we've done it. Call e- corporate. Equal amounts engineering and imagination. <laughs> In the background, there's several of their failed attempts. It's like sticks, but the melon is like a foot yeah. to the left. Yeah. It's one where the melon is just like obliterated. <laughs> one, the melon's on fire. Yeah. That's what a website is. <laughs> I love this alternate universe we've conjured. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> we have fun on this podcast. Yeah. We've learned how to have fun on this podcast. It was very bleak for a while. <laughs> I cried a lot. Yeah. Development of our, quote, virtual store. Okay. Stop! began in the summer of 1998. The site went live in March of 1999 as wholefoods.com. Mm. Goody, goody. Whoa. In October of 1999, wholefoods.com merged with Amiron to form a new e-commerce subsidiary, wholepeople.com. <laughs> Fuck. None of those partial people. Yeah, that's just a leg. <laughs> The new wholepeople.com e-commerce site was launched in March of 2000. Yeah, I don't really like that title. (laughs) What are you selling? (laughs) Welcome to (laughs) wholepeople.com. On June 20th of 2000, wholepeople.com and Guyam Incorporated merged their respective internet properties into a newly formed company called guyam.com. Or, sorry, guyam.com Incorporated. The wholepeople.com website, which is, there's a space between web and site. The wholepeople.com website was replaced by the guyam.com website. There's no space on that one. Uh, is this on purpose? I don't know. What, like, what weird QAnon code are you going to yeah. drop here? What does it mean? Food for Thought began serving the community of Sebastopol in Sonoma County, California, in 1989 when the business was purchased by the Shelton families. I don't know why there's... Are there multiple Sheltons? I don't know. They're two unrelated Shelton families. Yeah, they're they're stark rivals. (laughs) The other Shelton... The anti-Sheltons. They're chaos halves that were split from them by an evil witch. And they, they have to sell as many Whole Foods stores to large conglomerates before their debt is paid to the witch. 
Classic story structure. <laughs> we have motivation. Now we just need a middle. Yeah. The Sheltons had a 20-year history of work in the natural foods service industry and had a hand in operating some of the first natural foods markets in the country in the early 1970s. Hmm. Although the, the first store was only 2,000 square feet and had just eight employees, community support helped the store expand to its current 10,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Luxurious. Their expansion continued with the Santa Rosa store, opening in 1994, and the Petaluma store, opening in 1996. Whole Foods Market closed the deal acquiring Food for Thought in February of 2000. Remember Amiron we mentioned earlier? Yeah. Amiron was founded in Boulder, Colorado on August 18, 1987, by father and son team Henry and Mark Crossan, originally under the name of Bioenergy Nutrients Incorporated. <laughs> God... It's like an evil corporation from yes, a sci-fi movie. Seriously, they're going to be selling like implants that control your brain. Yeah. In 1989, the company went public. In 1993, the name was changed to Amiron Incorporated. Over the years, Amiron expanded their channels of distribution to include uh, Health Smart Vitamins, uh, which sold to consumers, Physiologics, uh, sales to healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. Biodynamax, sales to independent distributors, okay. and Brand Partners. A private label for Whole Foods. Okay. So basically, Amiron was the company that was... Amiron is the company that sells all of the the weird snake oil vitamins that you can buy at Whole Foods. Okay, got it. Yeah. On September 11th, 1997, Amiron merged with Whole Foods Market, and in October of 1999, they merged with WholeFoods.com to form a new subsidiary, WholePeople.com. So there's the story there. Harry's Farmer's Market debuted in the Atlanta area in 1987 when founder Harry Blazer opened the first megastore in Alpharetta, Georgia. I love all the names here. Yeah. Harry's Farmer's Market. It's only his. Everybody else leave. The Harry Farmer's Market. It was a quick success, becoming profitable within the first year. Known for fresh, delicious foods, produce, and gourmet products, the company expanded, opening two additional locations in Gwinnett and Cobb, both in Georgia. Okay. Each with more than 100,000 square feet. Yeah. The company went public in 1993 and launched a separate chain, Harry's In a Hurry, a small specialty store that was not part of the Whole Foods Market acquisition. Okay. So now, like, Harry's Market, that's that's all Whole Foods now. But there's still Harry's In a Hurry. Okay. Whole Foods Market acquired three Harry's Farmer's Market perishable megastores, a distribution center, a commissary kitchen, a bakehouse, and office facilities in October of 2001. These stores joined two Atlanta Whole Foods Market stores in Briarcliff and Sandy Springs and continue to operate under the HFM banner. The addition of Harry's Farmer's Market to the Whole Foods Market family is a key component of the Whole Foods Market's growing presence in the southern United States. Hmm. 2002. Mr. Mackey says that he is pro-employee but anti-union. In Madison, Wisconsin, workers voted to unionize, a victory that was later decertified. Mr. Mackey told the Times that the vote came from his inattention to worker concerns. The following year, he visited all the Whole Foods stores in the United States to bond with the employees. (laughs) All right, got my duct tape right here. Let's bond. (laughs) Just you fucking wait. We're going to get into the meat here soon. Okay. UK-based Fresh and Wild was founded by Haas Hassan in late 1998. He acquired the long-established City Health Store in London and opened the first new Fresh and Wild in Camden Town in February of 1999. 
Another existing health food store in fashionable Notting Hill joined the emerging group in 1999. Rapid growth and new store openings followed at uh, Clapham Junction in October of 2000, Soho in December of 2000, and Stroke Newington in June of 2001. Londoners quickly took to the Fresh and Wild's friendly and informative style of natural food retailing, and the stores rapidly gained recognition and began winning leading awards. Hmm. The first store outside of London opened in the Clifton area of Bristol in December of 2003. The seven stores together uh, with the Central Kitchen and Warehouse joined Whole Foods Market in January of 2004. And now we are going to get into the, the, the meat of this episode. Okay, meat in quotes. Yeah, the meat. <laughs> this is from a fantastic article by John Gettner for the New York Times, written in 2004. Okay. <clears throat> and now allow me to introduce you to the main character of, t- of this week's episode. <laughs> okay. John Mackey was sitting at a conference table in Austin, Texas, explaining what he calls the, quote, paradox of food shopping in America. Mackey, who started Whole Foods Market in Austin nearly 25 years ago and currently serves as the company's CEO and president, is known for being casual, opinionated, and very direct. Okay. On a scale of CEO bluntness, with Ted Turner at a 10, Mackey might rate an 8, or on a banner day a 9. On a scale of CEO complexity, he would be off the charts. Hmm. Current and former colleagues describe Mackey, 50, as both spiritual and calculating, forthright and aloof. Humble and arrogant, good-natured and prickly, and Mackey himself does little to dispel these contradictions. Hmm. He says he is pro-employee, but is avowedly anti-union. He calls himself pro-customer, but acknowledges that he runs a store with a higher profit margin and price than almost any other grocer. He is avowedly pro-capitalism, but also pro-love. Asked once to list the principles that he lives by, he included his belief that, quote, love is the only reality. Everything else, he added, is merely a dream or illusion. Okay. <laughs> the the oh. only concrete thing is love. Everything else is bullshit. It's like a Willy Wonka quote. Yeah. Mackey, dressed in a short-sleeved polo shirt, shorts, and running shoes, sat back in his chair and sketched out his point in a light Texas accent. Americans love to shop, right? He asked. I'm not doing a Texan accent. I can't do one. <laughs> okay. Americans love to shop, right? He asked. We love to shop, and Americans love to eat. We're the fattest nation on earth. But paradoxically, we don't love to shop for food. Grocery shopping in America, for the most part, is a chore. To his credit, Mackey tried to address this problem before almost anybody else. Yet, he began as a food entrepreneur, not so much to introduce style uh, into the supermarket aisles as to influence the health and eating habits of the next generation of Americans. Hmm. His original stores were big on nuts and grains and loaves, dense as doorstops. (laughs) Have you ever seen like what um, like the the sort of progenitors of uh, energy bars are? Mm. It was this thing that like knights going on marches would eat. Mm. It was like a loaf of bread that had like nuts and dried fruit baked into it, so that it was mostly nuts and dried fruit. Like, oh, that's really gross. I they seemed like they seemed uh, hearty is the word that I would use. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure it had a lot of calories. That was sort of the point, right? Yeah. It was food that took some serious chewing. The produce often came from farmers who showed up unannounced at the back door with muddy boots and battered pickup trucks. Tomatoes, turnips, carrots, basil. It might be local. It might be organic. It might be both. It just depended on the day. 
in the 80s and 90s, Whole Foods opened up new branches and brought up other natural grocers, uh, poured enormous resources into beautifying its store decor, and established its quality standards. The company acted, in the words of one executive, as, quote, the editor for its customers. Okay. I do not want a fucking grocery store editing me, sir. (laughs) Drawing a bright line between what is and is not a, quote, whole or unadulterated food. Uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, I, I think this food is adulterated. <laughs> oh, yes, I'll, uh, give you a discount on uh, that. Pardon me, of course. <laughs> give, please give me that bottle of $17 chocolate milk. I will unadulterate it for you. Just a moment. She puts it in a big machine and pulls a Frankenstein lever. <laughs> All right. 30 minutes later, after some horrible noises are heard, it comes out. Her, all of her hair has been burned off. Yeah. This should be sufficient now. <laughs> ah, thank you. Of course. At any of the 150 American branches, you can now find ice cream, but only with natural sweeteners, sausage from animals treated humanely, or a nitrate-free prosciutto sandwich. You cannot find Pepperidge Farm cookies or anything with trans fats, synthetic preservatives, or artificial colors. Those are the things that make food good. Yeah. To customers familiar with the company, which is poised to become one of the 500 largest businesses in America, it's currently 508 on Fortune's list, Mm. and which recently began a conspicuous invasion of New York with a spectacular store at Columbus Circle and a soon-to-be, a soon-to-come emporium in Union Square and Park Slope, Whole Foods still carries a patchouli whiff. (laughs) A lingering reputation for being crunchy and countercultural, and somewhat earnest. Yeah. Mackie says he thinks this is amusing as well as mistaken. His customers are not alt-lifestyle types, Mackie says. Nor does ethnicity or geography define them. Hold up, man. What the (laughs) fuck does ethnicity have to do with any of this? (laughs) It's a weird thing to bring up. Our customers are not defined by ethnicity. Um, what ethnicity, Dr. Nappy? Yeah. And this isn't an insinuation. I am genuinely curious what yeah, you mean right. by ethnicity. Right. There's there's no good answer here. Yeah. <laughs> Just unprompted brings up ethnicity. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I can imagine the New York Times reporter being like, it's like, so your company carries a bit of a reputation. And he says like, well, it's definitely not about race. Yeah. It's like... Huh? Hold up. Should I probe further into that, or should I just move on? It is not about ethnicity. Nor has it ever been. The company is growing at a steady clip in in the South and Midwest. It is increasingly wide appeal in Asian, Hispanic, and African American communities. And it will open a store next year in Center City, Oakland. Mackey's market research suggests that Whole Foods doesn't appeal to any unique demographic these days, other than highly educated people who are willing to spend more on what they can eat. Which, there is so much, like, if you know anything about how, like, racism actually works, there are so many red flags in those two sentences. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, don't worry, it's like, we're we're gonna open a new city in Oakland, you know? Good old ethnic Oakland. Right. We We aren't an agent of gentrification. As long as you're educated enough, you can shop at Whole Foods. Meaning, as long as as long as you or your family can afford an expensive education, you can probably afford to shop at Whole Foods. Yes, yeah, exactly. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but trust us, this has nothing to do with ethnicity. It's like, it's like I didn't ask. <laughs> the prices have lent the chain its unflattering nickname, Whole Paycheck. Yet, just as it just as it is 
inexact to dismiss Whole Foods as hippie artifact, it is simplistic to ascribe its growth to the country's swelling class of luxury-seeking elites, which, fuck you, that's exactly what it is. That's literally exactly what it is. That's kind of the point now. That's, that You can't say that that's not why it's successful if that's literally its entire market niche. Yeah. That is straight up a fucking lie. It's like, you think I know anyone who shops at Whole Foods? No, I don't make <laughs> enough money to shop at Whole Foods. I don't make enough money to know people who shop at Whole Foods. Exactly. And... And I know, like, I know people that are, like, upper middle class to almost rich. Like, none of them shop at Whole Foods. Are you fucking kidding me? A number of years ago, Mackey and his team bet on a big idea that mainstream Americans, even those with only the vaguest concerns about the integrity of the agribusiness food chain, would decide that it made sense to pay more for better food. That is, food with, quote, whole and, quote, natural ingredients, sold by a purveyor they felt confident about, just as they would pay more for better cars or kitchen cabinets. Harvey Hartman, head of a Seattle-based consumer marketing group who does work for Whole Foods, attributes the payoff of that bet partially to something he calls retrieval. In a society brimming with the ersatz and the inauthentic, where consumers increasingly attempt to save what is soulful from disappearing cultural traditions, Hmm. Whole Foods' pre-modern authenticity, or its appearance of pre-modern authenticity, presents an opportunity to reclaim meaning. Which is so fucking wrong, I can't really articulate it. (laughs) Nobody associates Whole Food with authenticity and meaning. Like... No, people associate Whole Foods with, like, yuppie horse shit. Nobody thinks that Whole Foods is out here saving Ojibwe, like, Native, like, Ojibwe Native American food preparation techniques. Like, fuck you. Right. I don't even associate Whole Foods with good food. No, exactly. I associate it with, with, like, dense food. Yeah, dense food that costs way more. Right. Uh. And just, like, the insinuation that Whole Foods is somehow protecting this, like... Return to tradition, cultural integrity yeah. is honestly pretty disgusting. Right, and it's such like a misread of how most people view Whole Foods. Ex- well, and nobody fucking thinks that about their food. Nobody thinks yeah. like yeah. If you nobody thinks that about food you get from a store. Right? right. If you're buying it at a store, it's not authentic. If you want authentic sausage, you're buying it from like okay. I I've been weirdly into like authentic sausage recently, like mm. s- like serious weird like specific sausage. Mm-hmm. There is a uh, there's an Albanian butcher shop that's in this tiny little unmarked store <laughs> down the street from my house, and yeah. you basically can't order in English. You have to point to stuff, and they'll give it to you, and they just give it to you because nobody there speaks English, and it's fucking great. Right, like that guy, like. Over like that fucking babushka yeah. making the sausage, that's authentic. Right. None of the horseshit at Whole Foods is authentic. Yeah. It's such it's just such a wrong view to think anyone thinks it is. Oh, and and honestly, Whole Foods is driving that Albanian family out of business. Exactly. Like because now like because they have to compete with them now. Yeah. Right. It's it's shitty and it this last this idea of retrieval is so beyond incorrect. Like it could not be more incorrect. Yeah, they're not retrieving authenticity, they're erasing authenticity. Exactly. They are they are erasing authenticity and repackaging it with a bland corporate smile at twice the price. Which is exactly what I mean when I said in the introduction that Whole Foods was born dead. Right. Its entire business is based on a thin sliver 
of a, a thin and rapidly shrinking sliver of easily tricked yuppies yeah. who confuse authenticity for a high price. Exactly. The center cannot hold here. Right. There is also a less high-minded explanation. Hartman says that Mackey's stores appeal smartly to our, quote, messiness. People are messy in their habits and shopping preferences, he says. That's why Whole Foods, in its something-for-everyone largeness, is categorically messy or inconsistent. It responds to how health-conscious Americans actually live, eating Haagen-Dazs after a stir-fry, rather than how they feel they should live, quote, by finishing lunch with a pomegranate frappe. I have no idea what any of that fucking means. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? It's like eight, eight completely different sentences it's jammed like, together. How health-conscious Americans actually live, eating Haagen-Dazs after a stir-fry. I... Huh? What? Like... You know, the classic American tradition. Rather than how they feel they should live by finishing lunch with a pomegranate frappe. What the fuck does any of that mean? This feels like mistranslated. Right? <laughs> it's And whoever's doing this marketing, it's like they are so fucking off the mark. It's, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's angry. It makes me angry. <laughs> to our... No one associates Whole Foods with messiness. Whole Foods is... Whole Foods is hypnotically clean. Exactly. It's... Whole Foods is the most, like, inauthentic, hospital, like, hospital-sanitized place that you can possibly shop for food. There isn't a single idea of a speck of dirt in that entire idea. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost uh, kind of creepy walking through there, how clean it is. Genuinely, it's, it's too nice. Yeah, that's why I don't like going in there. That and the fact that it's expensive. It's like... Yeah. Whole Foods as a company is predicated on the idea that if something is more expensive, people think it's better. Exactly. That's it. That's their entire market niche. Right. Yeah. And with and the amount of the sliver of society that is able to afford Whole Foods is rapidly shrinking. Right. And it always has been shrinking. Yeah. You can only afford to shop at Whole Foods if you have money to blow. Yeah. Mackey's next next project, after more than two decades, spent trying to reinvent the supermarket is to change the values and reputation of business in America. Quote, <sighs> Buckle up, everyone. Business is always painted as the bad guys, he remarks. They're the ones who are greedy, selfish, the ones who despoil the environment. They're never the heroes. <laughs> business has done a terrible job of portraying itself as invaluable, and it never will be accepted by society as long as businesses say it has no responsibility except for maximizing profits. Okay. I like how he blames it on businesses themselves. Like, businesses have not presented themselves as if the whole goal of most businesses is trying to cover up all the horrible stuff they're doing and make themselves look way better. Right, right. Well, and it's and the whole idea that it's like businesses have to have some goal outside of, you know, just profit. Yeah. But the thing is, is that that's not, that's categorically not true. Yeah. This is what we mean when we say there are no good CEOs. Mm. It's like, okay, let's say you have two companies. Company A, like they have they have identical practices. They make yeah. exactly the same amount of money every year. Yeah. But company A donates a percentage of its profits to some charitable organization. You know, yeah. reinvests a portion of its profits into its local community. Yeah. Well, that is fine, but you are competing with business B and they are making more profit than you because you're doing this charitable stuff. Yeah. Right? If given enough time, they will outpace and buy you. Yeah, right. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is profit. 
Because if you don't pump every possible cent you can make into growth, you will lose and you will be bought by somebody who will. Yeah, right. It is only a matter of time. Yeah. It is not possible to do this morally. Well, it's just a contradiction to say that there has to be another goal outside of profit. It's like the whole point of starting a business is the profit. Like the, yeah. that's, the, that's the end goal of all of this, regardless of what your business is or what your values are. Your goal is to make profit as a business. All of it is like, and any second, any other goal that you might have is predicated on the fact that you make profit. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not going to donate to charity if it's going to hurt your bottom line. Exactly. Literally everything you do has to be in line with the fact that you make profit. Exactly. Literally everything. Right. But that doesn't mean that there can't be good effects from it. You, you can never claim that that is the real goal of the business. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, you'd be running a nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. And you're not doing that, Mr. Right. Mackey. <laughs> you're in charge of Whole Foods. Mackey's efforts at rehabilitating the good name of business have involved speaking to college students and taking up Whole Foods' quote, stakeholder philosophy, which emphasizes the importance of satisfying customers and employees before shareholders. Yeah. His argument is that a responsible business benefits benefits all its stakeholders, including the local community and the environment. He also asserts that such a business will naturally enjoy a higher stock price. If his own track record is any indication, $10,000 invested in Whole Foods when it went public in 1992 is now worth more than $198,000. He may have a point. At the moment, he is at work on a book due out next year that lays out his business ideas in detail. Great. Which, like, the whole thing of, the whole thing of, like, oh, we need to protect our customers and our community. It's like, dude, you're a union buster. Fuck you. Yeah. Right. Like, eat my entire ass. <laughs> it just shows you, like, how fucking out of touch these people are. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna go, go around to college campuses and talk about how big business is actually good for you, college students. Yeah. Right. Eat up. In the meantime, he intends to make some waves. Tired of the way Wall Street's analysts enlist corporate executives in the setting of important quarterly earnings targets, often with the effect of punishing the stock of companies that fail to meet them, Mackey has decided Whole Foods will not play the short-term expectations game. Quote, It's stupid, he says. When we announce our year-end 2004 results next November, we're going to announce a totally different way. We're going to relate to the investment community. Just a few days before, he explains his corporate board gave him the okay on this. Okay. It's debatable whether Mackey's philosophy of stewardship differs as radically from the mainstream corporate America as he seems to believe. <laughs> yeah, right. It's more likely that Whole Foods is modestly different in many respects, and that such modest differences have amounted to a business that is somewhat unconventional. Right. Mostly just worded differently. Exactly. It's it's same pig, different paint. Yeah. <laughs> and that such modest differences have amounted to a business that is somewhat unconventional. Many large companies, Costco for instance, share a stakeholder model that makes a priority of customer and employee satisfaction. Other large companies, like Starbucks and British Petroleum, have serious community and, and, and environmental commitments. And some influential businesses place reasonable limits on executive compensation. Warren Buffett earned about $300,000 last year in total, compensation from, Ber from Berkshire Hathaway. The more I read about Warren Buffett, the more I like him. He like, seems like a nice old man who's very smart. Yeah. Well, and it's he seems to take the whole, like, ethical CEO thing seriously. Yeah. It's like, he treats it like the actual job it is. Right. You know, not like this weird, like, modern-day god cult thing yeah. that everyone, all the other CEOs talk about it like. Right. 
It's just like, yes, I'm old and I have a, st- I have a stressful <laughs> job involving finance, so I make some money. Yeah, right. It's like, that's, that's that job. And, okay, the whole thing with Starbucks's environmental, like, environmental operations, they are mostly concerned with preserving the farms where they grow coffee. Yeah, which makes sense, because you grow coffee. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not... F- I don't think it would be fair to call... To say that Starbucks has valid environmental outreach. Right. Whole Foods does these things and a few others. About 94% of its stock options go to non-executives, for example, and any employee may see the salary of any other, regardless of rank. Mackey's own salary is about $400,000 a year, owing to a policy that bars officers from earning more than 14 times what the average company employee makes. That makes no more than 14 times... (laughs) That sounds fair. All right. That means that the average worker at Whole Foods earns in the range of $29,000 a year. Not bad for the grocery industry. Still not a living wage. Yeah. But not enough to keep the company from pitched battles with unions. God. Most recently in Madison, Wisconsin, where in July 2002, workers voted in favor of representation by the United Food and Commercial Workers. Mackey says the union's victory, which was certified and then decertified, resulted from his inattention to workers' concerns, and spent the last year visiting all of the Whole Foods company stores in the country in order to bond with the employees and shore up enthusiasm. Which, like, he basically lobbied... He lobbied the piece of shit uh, Wisconsin governor to to decertify the union. Mm. It's, like, it's not an ideological thing. It was a blatant evil act that he should be guillotined for. (laughs) God. What really separates Whole Foods from other companies, according to Mackey, is the mission that weaves the company's ideals together. Uh Uh-huh, what is that? (laughs) What's that one there? Uh, Mackey and two former partners, Craig Weller and Mark Skiles, founded Whole Foods in 1980 in a 10,000-square-foot space down the road from the company's current Austin headquarters. It wasn't until 1985, though, when the company had about 600 workers. It now has around 30,000, that Whole Foods tried to lay out formally what it really wanted. Mackie and about 60 employees spent several weekends that year at a retreat, working out their business principles and boiling them down to a few pages they called the Declaration of Interdependence. What the hell? Mackie had little idea what a mission statement would look like, but the resulting stakeholder model and guiding principles sell quality food, please customers, satisfy employees, create wealth, respect the environment, and conduct a responsible business, all at the same time, have served the company well for more than 20 years. What Mackey calls his business model is, in effect, the practice of giving customers what they want, a profusion of fish, meats, fruit, and vegetables, presented with detailed explanations far beyond what is required by law, of where it all comes from and where it was grown, caught, or processed. But customers may be getting more than abundance. At Whole Foods stores, the mission statement, or pieces of it, is posted on walls, listed in free pamphlets, voiced by employees and managers in every aisle. Customers are not only consuming the groceries at Whole Foods, they are also buying its values. And this could be the most revolutionary thing about Whole Foods. Uh Uh-huh. Sure, great. I really want to go to Whole Foods and buy a carrot with some values. (laughs) This makes it taste better. Fucking assholes. Of course, the mission may be only so many words. You can't help wondering if the company's ideals and neologisms mask convention more than change it. Uh-huh. Great. <laughs> I wonder if this is all fucking bullshit. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Golly gee. <sighs> Employees are, quote, T 
team members. Managers are, quote, team leaders. The annual corporate report declares, quote, We believe in a virtuous cycle entwining the food chain, human beings, and the earth, each reliant upon the others through a delicate symbiosis. Okay. That's some, like, weird, like, hermetic shit. <laughs> yeah. This is the chain of being, though. <laughs> It's like, okay, man, like, I understand your passion about Not this. It's just Perpetua, kind of weird. It's Perpetua Nox. I'm going to step back now. All right, man. Was that about a virtuous circle entwining the food chain? It's not difficult to get numerous former employees and executives to say unflattering things about Mackie. Great. Yeah, that's reassuring. Which... It is really easy to get former employees to say to say mean things about Mackie, uh, uh, who is widely known to be tough to work for. Yet it is hard to find anyone who has ever been involved with the company who doubts Mackie's commitment or who questions whether Whole Foods is an innovative enterprise. They all use those exact words. <laughs> Whole Foods is an innovative enterprise. Beep boop. And for those who would challenge his vision, Mackie has a response. <laughs> Great, I'm sure. I'd love to hear his response. It's really, you know, really worth hearing. Evan, your problem isn't with Whole Foods itself, but with the expectation of what Whole Foods should be. You're right. Your problem isn't with Whole Foods, it's with your idea of Whole Foods, You're you right. fucking ape. <laughs> I hate myself. I've been looking at this all wrong. Human nature makes it hard to categorize something novel and something complex. You fucking troglodyte. You're right. My approach to human nature has been so misguided all along. I didn't realize that my my problem was theleological. I can't know what I know. Where we see contradictions in him or in Whole Foods, he sees continuity. Where we see compromises, he sees progressive good sense. Where we see pragmatism, he sees big tent idealism. All the things you think are shitty and dumb about me are actually fucking great and my cock is huge. (laughs) Applesauce brain. (laughs) I drive the biggest and fastest car there is. You've never seen this car because it's so big and fast. (laughs) You think my car is small and slow? You are wrong it's big and fast. (laughs) This is, it's just a very complicated version of saying, like, (laughs) nuh-uh. Right. Just a lot of words. Above all, where we recognize a fast-growing company making cosmetic adjustments to time-worn business practices, he beholds a gleaming new paradigm. (laughs) Hoist the sword of truth. (laughs) Directly into the rectum of convention. (laughs) Smash in the head of convention with the mace of doing whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) Whole Foods. (laughs) When I asked Mackie about the rhetoric of Whole Foods, he replied bluntly. People say they, quote, just changed the words. It's okay. They can believe that. I'm not out to convert anybody. I'm just doing what we're doing. And a lot of young people really like it. I don't care if you don't get it. In fact, you're doing me a favor by not getting it. Because you're stuck in the old way. You're wedded to a business model that is ceasing to work very well. That's just that's a little on the nose, Mr. Mackey. I read that, and it literally sounds like you making fun of a CEO <laughs> on this show. Like, he talks like how you talk when you're making fun of the fucking idiots on this show. It's, yeah. 
<laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think he, it's like he word for word said something that you said when you were making fun of Ken Weiselman. <laughs> Right. What the fuck was it? It was like, it was a, it was, I don't care if you don't get it. In fact, you're doing me a favor by not getting it. I'm glad that you hate me. It proves my point. Duh. <laughs> okay. Mackie is known to read several books a week. His... Uh-huh. So, somehow, magically, all these fucking tech and, you know, high-level executive companies are somehow able to read multiple books a week. I'm starting to think it's bullshit. How would they have time? Actually, Evan, this one isn't bullshit, and I can prove it to you by the, by the list of books that he says here, because no normal person would say these books. Okay. Okay. Oddly specific. <laughs> His answers to questions are often studded with references to heady stuff like Thomas S. Kuhn's Structure of Scientific Revolutions and Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. <laughs> In a conversation with these quotations comes off as reflective rather than grandiose, evidence that he trolls good distances from, quote, who moved my cheese for business insights. Indeed, Mackey compares the idea of natural foods and more healthful eating to Charles Darwin. Survival of the fittest was a fringe belief that caught on only when a resistant generation died off, and younger, more open-minded people discerned its value. He reads, but this guy definitely has like a signed copy of Atlas Shrugged like yeah. framed above his fucking right. mantelpiece. It's like the wealth of nations, man. It's just like, it's a little on the nose. It's a little obvious, yeah. man. It's like, come on. And the thing is, is like, if you read Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith basically says, like, all of this is going to self-destruct in about 250 yeah. years. And uh, so when Adam Smith said, said that it's all going to come crashing down in 250 years, you know, guess when he wrote that, Evan? 250 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> hey! Oh, oh, my God, this fucking asshole. I keep, like, seeing quotes at, like... Yeah, this guy, this is a new breed for this show. Because he's, like, he's not even trying to hide. He's just an image. He's just, like, a childish little bitch. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no interesting spin on it. This man, like, he's just a fucking hemorrhoid of a person. (laughs) Just, like, like an insignificant but persistent annoyance. Yeah, right. You just want him to stop fucking talking. It's like, come on, man. Like, I'm not being, like, hurt. But, like, I'm just being, like... It's like being sprayed with a light mist of vinegar. Yeah. (laughs) He's just a guy that talks a little too loudly and stands a little too close to you. It's like, I'm... It's like, you're not annoying enough. I believe that you genuinely believe all of these things, but, man, you are an asshole. Yeah. But not enough of an asshole for me to yell at you about it. Right. Just not an interesting asshole. Yeah! He's an unoriginal asshole. Yeah, it's the worst kind of asshole. If you're gonna gonna be a little bitch asshole, have some flair. (laughs) Come up with a new spin on it. Yeah! In Mackey's view, consumer evolution necessitates a change in the look and feel of grocery stores. It obliges retailers to understand that a sizable portion of consumers, up to 65%, are willing to pay more for organic food. It demands a new kind of empathy for an American family that has changed its eating habits, cooking less, shopping more, and often buying more prepared foods. Which is, that's the one smart thing he's ever said. Yeah. Like, Americans have less time, they're eating a lot of prepared meals, and so they probably want those to be nicer rather than shitty. Valid point. That's a valid point. Yeah. There you go, bud. 
and its makeup, more single parents and fewer children, a large number of women hold executive positions within Whole Foods, Mackie points out, and store designs depend greatly on women women's preferences. Quote, we have a lot of feminine energy, he says. All right, man. What? <laughs> you know that meme that's like, <laughs> oh, what are you, dead? Feminine trait. <laughs> like, that's literally, the, it's like, we're a very, we're a very, we're a corporation with very feminine energy. Fire. Whole Foods has also been helped by the entrepreneurs who have been driving the organic natural foods movements for the past three decades. And I don't know about helped, I think you more mean incorporated into your corporation. Yeah. Whole Foods has also been helped by the entrepreneurs who've been driving the organic natural foods movements for the past three decades. The company has incorporated ideas and employees from the chains that it has bought. Bread and Circuses and Fresh Fields in the Northeast, Mrs. Gooch's in the West, Wellspring in the North, and even many of its vendors have followed the same path from fringe to hip to the edge of mainstream. There seems to be some agreement among Mackie and businessmen like Steve Damos, president of White Wave, which makes soy milk, okay. <laughs> that the battles for consumer attention, good taste, and recognizable brands, as well as for the fight for agricultural validation, sustainable farming and no antibiotics, have largely been won. It's the push to get their ideals about socially responsible business into the mainstream. This is just the beginning, Demos says. Wall Street, that's where the fun begins. They only measure one thing, the bottom line. My goal is to demonstrate the principle-based business that the principle-based business model is more profitable than its counterpart. And when we do, Wall Street will chase us instead of the other way around. Hence the virtue of big profits. Our industry should focus on making the most money possible. Mackey, of course, is just as fervent a capitalist or neo-capitalist, as he calls himself. Fuck you! Ah, It's not neo-capitalism. If anything, it's late capitalism. <laughs> just, you're probably just calling it that because it sounds cool. Yeah, that is literally it. Yeah. It makes him sound more brainy about this. Just add neo before everything. Since he characterizes his early political views as socialist and says his ardor for free markets came later in life, which, no, you didn't. Like, you weren't a socialist. You, you got a, you got an $178,000 loan from your close family and started a grocery chain, you fucking asshole. <laughs> He simply maintains there is no conflict between an aggressively capitalistic enterprise like Whole Foods and a socially responsible enterprise like Whole Foods. That is categorically untrue. There is no ethical production under capitalism because you are inherently taking profit from other people. He is steadfast and his company will never compromise with Wall Street on its values. The 5% of profits given each year to charity, the installation of solar panels on the tops of some stores... Wall Street hates that! Nobody will ever compromise the installation of solar panels on the tops of some of our stores. <laughs> How many? Some. You know, a the, portion. The payment to, com to employees for their community service. At the same time, Mackey says that the company won't compromise its intentions to make as much money as possible along the way. Don't you pay people $29,000 a year on average? Yep. Like... You want to do some social good, pay your employees more, man. Right. If you want to invest in the community, that's literally the best possible way to do it. It's like these companies, like they do everything in the book other than just pay their employees more. Exactly. Because it's all about the optics. They're not actually going to do anything that will help people. Right, exactly. Well, one of the things that's held back natural foods for a long time is that most of other people in his business never really embraced capitalism the way I did. 
What? What? Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the real problem is that everybody else in the grocery industry isn't as capitalist as I am. <laughs> it's like guys on his, like, executive team that are reading, like, Das Kapital and being like, I don't know, man, about your whole capitalism thing. I've been reading this and, you know, I have some different ideas. Right. You're just not as committed as me to capitalism. <laughs> I don't know. I've re- read a book by this guy named uh, Bakunin and... <laughs> He's got some pretty funky ideas on capitalism. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty certain that the guys on this guy's executive team are pretty committed to capitalism. Yeah. What are you talking about? There are no socialist executives, you twat. <laughs> Especially not at Whole Foods. It irks Mackie that some of his oldest customers don't accept the road to profitability runs directly into the mainstream. Quote, I don't know how many letters we get from people who resent that, he says. He affects a mocking tone. <laughs> you've sold out they say or don't forget about the little people who supported you when you were nothing it's interesting he adds that when an idea that began on the fringe hits the mainstream it's no longer hip and cool even if it preserves the integrity and values as he says he believes with his company has america has a love affair with small businesses the Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful life kind of businesses, he says. But when they get to be big, they're no longer good. They must be evil. Yeah, nail on the fucking head right there, Mackie boy. Because you kill all the small businesses. Yeah, because <laughs> you're literally a, your business model. Right, because you're a, a fucking bully that drives small businesses out of, like, drives those exact family businesses out of business. Right. The plan for Whole Foods, as it happens, is to grow 300 stores by 2010 and to make deep commercial inroads on Canada and the United Kingdom. By then, Mackie says, it should have it should have at least 10 billion dollars in annual sales he also says that it's just a start across from his austin office is the future headquarters of whole foods market an enormous building still under construction that will house the grocer's new flagship store on the first floor all of 80,000 square feet which mackie has privately declared will be the grandest supermarket in the world and which of course leaves little doubt yeah. love may or may not be the only reality, and may or may not be better. But to Mackie, big is what a big idea needs to be. And that is where we are going to end part one. (laughs) I was going to say, there's a big part of this story that I know about that we didn't get to. And you'll have to join us next week (laughs) to find out what happens. All right, well, thank you very much. This guy, this Mackie guy, he's a new, he's one of my new favorite characters. <laughs> if you don't believe me, that's fine. Yeah. It just helps me. I'm if gl- you're against me, that actually helps me. I'm motivated by that. I'm, I'm glad that you hate me. I need you to hate me. <laughs> yeah. I love that, like, don't forget about the little guy who yeah. helped you when you were nothing. It's like, dude, your friends and family gave you a, an $178,000 yeah. loan. Right. You were never the little guy. You were never the little guy. People have always, like, you were carried into this into this station in life on a fucking palanquin. <laughs> and I love, I love his, like, genuine musings on, like, why does everybody not think we're, like, cool and counterculture as we're, like, one of the biggest grocery brands in the yeah, U.S. Like this right. massive international, cong- like massive international agrarian and food service conglomerate. Why does nobody think we're cool? We're cool. We haven't even changed. Warehouses are cool. Union busting is so cool. I like how he says, like, I'm like, if, if you're gonna say I'm anti-union but pro-worker, you have to prove that. You can't just say that. But he's done nothing to prove that. Right. No. Okay. 
Costco is allowed to say they're they're anti-union but pro-worker because they yeah. they want to keep their they want to keep their employees from unionizing so they give them like they give them all of the things that they would ask for if they had a union. Right. It was like we will just facilitate union structure for you. Yeah. Like save we'll save everyone the trouble and so they right. don't have to go through an intermediary that can like like we don't want you guys to be an assholes to us. So yeah. we're just going to give you what you want right, right now. Imagine that. Because here's the thing. Like every large scale strike in American history has succeeded. Right. Like all like when a strike happens, if it lasts long enough, that list of demands they start out with, they get it. Mm-hmm. And usually, the only people that lose anything from it is the corporation because yeah. they lose profits from like hiring scabs or bringing in, uh, or like from the lost profit, right? Right. That's Costco just saves themselves the trouble. Yeah. It's like I'd rather not. I'd rather not have a boycott for three months. Here. Have a pay raise. Just be nice to your employees. Like it's not it, hard. It doesn't have to get more complicated than that, right? It's like to be fair, Costco. Like Costco is really only able to do it because they're they're a category killer. There's mm. no competition with Costco. Yeah, there's makes sense. they have one. There's Costco is over here on the west coast, and there's. Uh, there's Sam's Club over on the East Coast. Yeah. And the only reason they're not the same chain is because if they were, they'd be a monopoly. They would get trust busted and split into two different companies anyway. Right. So there you go. Like, yeah, that's it. There you go. Well, that was, that was a lot of fun. I, I eagerly await next week's episode. Oh, it'll be fun. The wave is coming. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks, everyone. We love you. Good things are coming. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at D-A-O-C-Cast, Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism, and Tumblr at DesperateActsOfCapitalism.tumblr.com. And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.